0: Good morning. My name is Matt. Uh, If you are around last November, you may recognize me. Typically, this is not the place that I serve. I'm not Chris. Um, Normally, you'll see me in the back back there. But if you are around last November, you may recognize me from the Sermon Slam uh, the Thursday or Sunday after Thanksgiving. But a lot has changed for me since then. Most notably, I took a step of faith, trying to become a little bit more like Jesus. And I left the field of healthcare, and I became a carpenter. (laughs) And you know what they say? They say that following Jesus might cost you something. And for me, in the last six months, it's cost me the tip of my finger, uh, being stung by at least three wasps 30 feet up on a ladder, um, and having a nail pierce all the way through my finger. They say that Jesus, following Jesus might cost you something. Before starting that new role, I had some time on my hands, and I spent that time here in the building. It was right, before, right after we got the building. It uh, was right before I started that new role. Um, and I, I just got to spend a lot of time here. And guys, I nerded out on this building. I love history. Uh, I love just digging into things. And I'm going to tell you my favorite fun fact. 30 feet that way, roughly, we have a gym. And in that gym in the 30s, Philippus Church literally held the circus in this building. Like I'm talking about like elephants, monkeys, clowns, circus. Like truckloads of sand to cover the gym floor circus. This building had the circus. Can you imagine having the circus at church? Well, you didn't come here this morning to hear me talk about myself or the fact that This building held a circus. Uh, If you want to talk more about the building, I'd be happy to chat about that later. Uh, I consider myself our resident church historian. If you've been around the last few months, we've been in a sermon series on wholehearted. Living wholeheartedly for Jesus. That will take us through the rest of 2022. Right now, we're in a portion of that series called Practice. And this week, Chris asked if I would preach on the Bible. So... I hope you all don't have any plans this afternoon. Uh, I will try and get us out before your kids' bedtime, for those of you who have kids. Um, And I made sure Philippus was okay with us going a little long. But guys, can I be honest with you? It was kind of hard to prep for this sermon. How in 30 minutes do we cover the Bible? Why we should trust it, why it matters to us, how we engage with it. How do we cover all of that in 30 minutes? And the answer is we can't. I could talk about things like this, how the Bible is the most sold book of all time, how it's the most accurate to itself book of all time, how we have more manuscripts of the Bible than any other book in history, or that those manuscripts are closer in time to the originals than any other in history, or how it's arguably the most influential book on modern society, and I could go on. While these things have their place, I don't think that's where God wants us to spend our time this morning. We live in an information age, and we're constantly faced with more numbers and stats. So we're not going to spend our time there this morning, at least not on those numbers. So here's our roadmap today. We're going to start having a conversation about America and the Bible. After that, we're going to move into why the Bible matters for us, and then some practical application. But before we dive deeper, I want to set the stage. I want to say there's no hidden agenda today. There's certainly no goal in guilting anyone today into reading the Bible more. Maybe you've had bad interactions with the Bible. Maybe you read the Bible regularly and have lost touch. My goal is that we aren't guilted into the Bible today. If that's what I've done, today i failed. What I do hope we leave with is this, that you leave with a deeper sense of your need, that we leave with a deeper sense of our need for the Bible. Second, I want to uh, tell you this. Um, I've picked up a lot of what we are going to talk about today from a sermon series from Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. In your bulletin on the backside, you'll see a circle QR code. That circle QR code is a link for that sermon series. So, if you're a Chris junkie and you just don't want to hear what I have to say this morning, you can just click that and listen to it while I'm talking. <laughs> Otherwise, this week, maybe take a moment to listen to that. It is phenomenal what they have to say. Lastly, we are actually going to talk some numbers and stats. For those like myself or our engineers and accountants in here, you're going to find that fascinating. For everybody else, don't worry. Relevance is coming. So where do we start? Let's start with how we're doing. Twelve years ago, the American Bible Society started doing a survey that they called the State of the Bible to better understand how we in America engage the Scriptures. And here's what they found from their most recent survey done in January. They found that Scripture engagement is at a historic low in America, making up just 19% of American adults. The Bible disengaged category grew by 45 million people in a single year. It's the largest single disruption in Scripture engagement ever recorded in their history of doing this survey. In that same year, nearly 26 million Americans decreased or stopped interacting with Scripture altogether. In the last five years, roughly an average of 50% of America identified as Bible users. In this same year, we saw a 10% decrease to under 40% being considered Bible users. And guys, Bible users is defined as those that read the Bible three to four times a year outside of church. It's not a high bar. Well, to some good news that they found nearly two-thirds of American adults actually still say that they are curious about what the Bible has to say to them. Also, about half of American adults still agree that the Bible contains everything a person needs to know to live a meaningful life. In terms of the greatest frustration, or one of the greatest frustrations they found, it was this, that we never seem to have enough time. A top answer for Gen Z or millennials most of us in this room, was that they didn't know where to start. These are just some of the highlights from the most recent State of the Bible. If you want to learn more about it, it's as simple as Googling State of the Bible, and you can read the 100-page report. Today, we're going to walk through a few of my thoughts as to why this might be the case, why our interactions with the Bible and our engagement with the Bible might be at the state it is. And the first one is this, access. In 1455, widely considered the first book ever published on the printing press, press, the Gutenberg Bible was printed. Since that time, the Bible has become what spirituality pollster George Gallup Jr. remarks. The Bible is the best-selling, least-read book in America. It is so best-selling that the Guinness Book of World Records Notes that it is printed at a clip of 80 million Bibles a year. That means, roughly in the last 60 years, there have been over 4 billion copies of the Bible sold. It is so best selling that I decided to see how many Bibles we had at our house. The answer is not one, it's not two, it's not four. not six or seven. I can keep going. The answer is that we have 15 Bibles in our house. And that's just full Bibles. That doesn't include Jesus Storybook Bible, partial Bibles. There's 15 Bibles. Now, before you judge Elise and I, The average American household has at least four. And anybody have the Bible app on your phone? Yeah? You have 70 different translations of the English Bible on your phone. What what does access have to do with playing a role in our interaction with Scripture? Here's what I think, what I feel like that plays into. It's this. There's a, a term in marketing called the scarcity principle. What the scarcity principle essentially says is if we make you think that there is less of something, you will think that it is more valuable. So less of something means more value. So more of something equals less value. We have abundant access to Scripture. Maybe we consider it less valuable. Imagine with me for just a minute If rather than having 70 Bibles on your phone, you only had one, or your church as a community only had one, or maybe even so far as the Bible was illegal to own, how much more might we treasure it? The last thing that I think plays a role in how we engage Scripture is margin. As I think about the practice of the Bible, it is one of the practices of the faith that is time-dependent. We can't practice the Bible. We can't read the Bible. We can't listen to the Bible well if we don't have time. A few weeks ago, Rob Groves talked to us on the idea of generosity. And as he talked about it, he talked about the need for financial margin in order to be generous. Being good stewards of our finances allows us to be generous. And in the same token... As the Bible inherently requires time, as we seek to love Jesus, know Jesus, and experience him more deeply, we must be also good stewards of our time. But here's the rub. As Americans, maybe Western culture, we are terrible stewards of our time. Busyness is often seen as a status symbol. I read a book recently by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and in his book, he he uh, notes these stats. On average, we spend 705 hours a year on social media. Over 2,700 hours watching TV, which totals just under 3,500 hours a year. Now, to put that in perspective, if you work 40 hours a week and you work 52 hours a year or 52 weeks a year, that's a total of 2,080 hours of working in a year. Meaning that we spend one and a half times the amount we do working, consuming media. But that isn't even the most crazy statistic to me. The most crazy statistic was this, that we touch our phones, on average, 2,617 times a day. We have time... We could have margin, we just are busy. Corey Ten Boom is quoted as saying this, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Lastly, when we consider access, uh, I want to stop and tell you a story. I think there's a picture of Elise and I from a while ago. Um, I'm going to take you back to our first date. She likes to tell this story, but today I have the mic and the stage, so I get to tell you this story. And what I could tell you is that it was like the most romantic date ever, that it set the the stage for our future, like we were gonna get married from that first date, like that's how good I did. The answer is that that's not the truth and that's why she likes to tell the story and I don't. I, I asked her out to breakfast, we go out to breakfast, we order our food, and that's probably the last thing I said until I paid, but I didn't really tell her whether or not I was gonna pay, so I just walked up and paid without saying anything. Um, We get in the car to go home, and instead of, like, separating, she comes to my college guy house to help clean my house. (laughs) And then it gets worse. Like, a week later, she's like, hey, we're going to talk about, like, whatever that was. And my immediate response, without pausing, is no. And then I kept walking. (laughs) You see, it was a terrible date. There's no reason I should have gotten a second date. There is, it was bad. Like there is no other way around saying that I was a terrible first date. And yet, I got to unmarry Elise. Why? Part of the reason why is because for the three years before that, we were friends. And we spent a lot of time in the ordinary. Not a lot of highs, not a lot of lows. We just spent time Together. You see, we often live for the highs and not the ordinary. We fail to see the impact that the ordinary has. But without the ordinary, I might not have gotten a second date. If we want to have a growing, significant, deep relationship with God, the ordinary matters. It is the ordinary that builds a base for us to experience the extraordinary. If we want to see miracles, maybe it means waking up 30 minutes early to pray. If you want to experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit, maybe it means having a regular practice of fasting. If we want to see people come to know Jesus, maybe it means practicing the Bible regularly. These are just some of my thoughts on why practice Of the Bible in America today is where it is. But again, why does it matter? Why should we here at City Church OTR care about practicing the Bible? In our American Christian tradition, we often talk about the importance of knowing Scripture. And while this is true—knowledge matters—there's more to it. Read the book of James and you will see. So why then should we practice the Bible? Paul, I think, tells us why we should practice the Bible in 2 Timothy 3. We'll read that now. Verse 14 through 17 says, "...but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Here Paul is talking to Timothy and we see three things. First, Paul attributes the scriptures, we see sacred writings in verse 15, as being part of the process of leading Timothy to faith. The Bible had the power to help lead Timothy to faith in Christ. And guys, literally just yesterday, I had a conversation with a friend who told me a story of a relative of his that, in secret, not telling anybody, just started reading the Bible. And today, they know Jesus. The Bible has the power to save. Second, the Bible is profitable, and maybe its purpose is for our formation, in verse 16, it says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We could dumb all four of those down to the word formation. And then third, it leads us to being complete. The word complete there in, in Greek is the word artias, which would mean something like perfectly suited or fitted to its nature. Scripture's purpose here, as Paul writes, to form us into something perfectly fitted to its nature. So knowledge matters. Jesus knew the Bible through his ministry, so I might even say he had it memorized. We see Peter at the sermon at Pentecost quoting Scripture. He knew Scripture. But we must leave space to be formed by it. Paul calls us to this process of formation in Romans 12.2. says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Said another way, practicing the Bible is part of the process of counter-formation instead of cultural formation. Let me say that again. Part, practicing the Bible is part of the process of counter-formation instead of cultural formation. Our culture is constantly trying to shape and form us into its likeness. We talked about scarcity marketing earlier, which would be an example, but the list could go on. Things like how the news is shaped to make sure you engage with it more, to hopefully help you believe its side of the story. Just look at different news outlets and how they headline the same news. How products are marketed to convince you that you need them now and a year from now, you actually need the newer version. The world in which you live is constantly studying our motivations to use them to form us into something that someone else wants to be true of us. I'm going to say that one again. The world in which we live is constantly studying our motivations to use them to form us into something that someone else wants to be true of us. If we're honest with ourselves, and the dirty little secret is that the Bible can sometimes feel old. It can feel boring. It is, at times, difficult to understand. And guys, it's got some very interesting stuff in it. So how do we allow ourselves to be formed by the Bible? How does the Bible form us when those things can and are true at times? In Hebrews 4, it says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart. This book the Bible is not just a historical narrative or a textbook. A couple of months ago, uh, Beth Guggenberger was here and talked to us and shared a story about two girls that her family raised. These two girls were foster They were, they were fostering these two girls, and the girls came from a family that, showed, that uh, wanted to bring them into legal activities. They were not good people. One day she gets a call that they are going to come and take the girls. Beth is freaking out. She's trying to work to make sure she's got everything together to convince them that the girl should stay with them. But Beth also calls a mentor of hers for help. And when the family shows up to take the girls, the mentor is there, and the mentor does this. As these people walk in her door, screaming and yelling, chaos is ensuing, and Beth's mentor opens the Bible to Psalm 1. And she reads. And as she reads the noise level gets quieter and it gets quieter the family that came to take the girl starts backing up and by the time beth mentor reaches psalm 10 they've left you see the bible isn't just a library of books the bible is powerful The Bible is the living, breathing, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing word of God. There's one last verse that I'd like to share with you before we get to some practical application. In Revelation 3.20, it says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. You see, the second part of formation, formation being a two-way street, God's already at the door. God's there, he's ready, but being formed requires our hearts to be open as well. We must have a heart posture that is willing to be formed. In the sermon series we have linked on the uh, bulletin, John Mark Comer says this, we stand at arm's length of the Bible, we are the subject and it is the object. We think about it with our mind to control it, yet control is incompatible with spiritual formation. Our job isn't to go to the Bible for something, it's simply to show up. I remember having a conversation with a disciple when I was in college, and I was struggling with interacting with the Bible. And he said, Matt, you don't have to expect the highs. You don't have to expect any extreme, like, wow moments every time you go to the Bible. God just literally asks you to show up. It's for us to let God know we are here and open to what he has to say to us and with a posture of humility and willingness to allow him to form us into what he wants to be true of us. Between an abundance of access to the Bible, lack of margin, and missing the impact of the ordinary, we might just be choosing to live in Bible poverty. And family, that has consequence. At City Church OTR, one of our core values is family the Bible tells us, also tells us that as followers of Jesus, we are family. And if we are family, what is this family going to do? Do we continue to choose Bible poverty, or are we ready to love Jesus? No, love Jesus more, know him better, and to experience him deeper? Are we ready to see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives? Can we together challenge each other to make a habit of practicing the Bible? To round out today, we're going to get real practical here for a few minutes before wrapping up. The first thing we're going to talk about is going back to the idea of margin. Busyness is a tool Satan can, will, and definitely does use. So from a practical application, we have to have margin. A few helpful tips from James Mark Clear's Atomic Habits. In terms of, for those of you that maybe the Bible isn't a regular practice, it's not a habit you've been in or you've been out of touch. First is start small. If some, if, uh, the idea being don't feel like you have to open up and read the whole thing tomorrow. Maybe it's simply starting with one verse a day. Next, tie the Bible into something you do every day. An easy example would be this. If you uh, In the morning when you get up out of bed, put your Bible on the pillow. So when you go back to bed that night, you literally have to pick up the Bible to go to sleep. The last one, and this is one that actually was most challenged and uh, just found really interesting, is don't try and create a practice where you already have a bad habit. Example being, uh, if you your living room is set up so that your couch is facing the TV and you sit in that couch regularly, watch TV, don't try and start a practice of, uh, reading the Bible, sitting in the seat that you watch TV in? Because the answer is you, we will turn on the TV. Elise and I can attest to the fact that we have moved our TV from our living room to our basement at least three times since we lived in our house. Because when the TV comes back, the old habit returns. Don't try and create a practice or a habit in a place where you already have bad habits. When you figure out where you're going to practice the Bible or what tips you might use, then use one of these four ways to engage Scripture. We're going to talk about four. The first is this. Reading large portions of Scripture in one sitting. This is how the early church would have actually interacted with Scripture. When the church in Ephesus had the letter delivered from Paul, it wouldn't have been distributed among all of them. They would have gathered together in community, and someone read it to them aloud. It would have been taken an entire portion. I heard someone say uh, on this topic, reading the Bible in small chunks at times is like watching a bunch of trailers but never watching the whole movie. Maybe at times we sit and read a whole book in one sitting. The second is this, study. So for those of you that have heard of the idea of inductive studies, this would be an example. An inductive study is one where you have different colored pencils and based on what word it is or how the sentence is structured, you underline or highlight different words. That is deep diving, studying the scriptures. The third is this, memorization. So God calls us to write his word on our hearts in the Bible. So another way of practicing the scriptures is to memorize. A verse, a chapter, maybe it's a whole book. Maybe that's what you commit to for the rest of 2022 is trying to memorize an entire book of the Bible. The last one we're going to spend a little bit more time on because it's one that probably, at least a decent amount of us, have not heard or learned about much. It was relatively new to me, and it is this, Lectio Divina, literally meaning divine reading. It's taking short sections in deep meditation. I had to look some more stuff up on this, so I'm gonna read to you something that I uh, got off an Anglican community description of what Lectio Divina is, and it says this. So Lectio is not Bible study, or even an alternative to Bible study, but something radically different. The practice understands Scripture as a meeting place for a personal encounter with the living God. It is a practice we come to with a desire to be changed at all sorts of levels. It operates very much on the emotional rather than the purely heady or cerebral level. It is perhaps hearty rather than heady. Through it, we allow ourselves to be formed in the likeness of Christ, it is about formation rather than instruction. It can be broken down into four, five, six parts, depending on who you talk to. Uh, I'm going to use simpler words and break it down into five parts. The first is this: stop. So, before you read, before you engage, take a moment of pause, almost like we do at the beginning of our services here, and pause before the Lord. Then read. What does the Bible say to everyone? After finishing reading that portion, you ponder, what does the Bible have to say to me? Next, you pray, Lord, what can I say to you? How can I engage you in response to this text? And then lastly, we can take action. We can live. How does this change? How should this change? How I live in the world around me. As I get ready to wrap up, I'm gonna start with a quote and the band can start coming back up. Um, There was a quote I wanted to share with you, and I think it still applies. It says, Every action is a vote for the person you want to become. It's another one from James Clear. I was talking to Elise about this quote, and she said, You know, my boss used to say this. He used to say that the books you read are the person you will become. And as she said that in the context in which we live, where we don't actually read as many books as we used to, we engage with information in a number of different ways, the way that I want to say it is this, the information we choose to consume are the people that we become. If at the end of 2022, we want to love Jesus more, we want to know him more, and we want to experience him more than we ever have before, what kind of information are we consuming? As you think about the things we've talked about today, I hope that you feel a deeper call for your need for the Bible. I hope that we leave with a deeper call for our need for the Bible. From a practical application, as you walk out today, if you're a person that is more heady, you love to study, you love to break things down, maybe taking one of those four practices, you pick either Lectio Divina or reading a whole portion of Scripture this week. Test one of those two out. On the converse, if you are a more presence person, you are a feeler, maybe you actually put something to memory or you study it, you deep dive, you learn about what inductive Bible studies are like. Or if you're someone that's just stuck and you don't know where to start. We actually, as a church, are going through the New Testament for the course of 2022. We have a Bible reading plan. It is set up in the YouVersion Bible app. There's a number you can text, uh, and I'm going to read it out to you now, and you can join in with us in that process. The number is this, 1-833-221-8195. Whatever it is, may we leave with a deeper sense of our need for the Bible today. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for the freedom of access that we have to your word But may we not let that freedom of access cause us to devalue the power that it has in our lives. May we leave today with the deeper sense of our need for your word. Amen.